Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a cold drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. In episode one, as we start our study in the letter to the believers in Ephesus, we will not only discover how God reveals himself to us, who the author and the recipients are, but we will begin to better understand the foundations of our faith, the legacy of our spiritual family. We normally do an inductive Bible study. Inductive study says, let's look at the context. We'll do an overview of the book, and then we will look at the chapter, verse, and then words. And we will take it back to the original language so that we can not lose anything in the translation. And I'm a bit of a word nerd. When we get into the Bible, and we can look at the words in the Greek or the Hebrew, we can explode it and kind of figure it out. I'm going to give you a Bible word because I love them. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. That little count, if you run that word in the Greek throughout the New Testament, the word count means to govern, to rule. When we think of count, it joy, right? We think, oh, consider it this way. You know, think about it. But the word in the Greek actually means to be ruled by or to be governed by joy. So if you change that English translation to consider it joy, it actually means have your thoughts ruled by or governed by joy. That makes a difference. But in our English, it gets lost in the translation. So I love to take the words back to the Greek and see what God said that word meant so that we don't lose some of that depth of meaning when he's talking. So today we're going to go over Ephesians and we'll just do a, just an overview so that we can figure out what the context is. Have you ever been in that situation where you have come into a new community or into a new job? If you have moved into a new church and when you get there, you want to know the rules. No, I don't mean the doctrine of the church or the how to order the birthday cake for the company, but you want to know how does this work? Like, what's the dress code? What is, you know, do they take a full hour of lunch break? Or do they, where do I go for my doctor? Yeah, all those things when you come into someplace new. Well, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, they're new Christians. And most of them are Gentiles. Not all of them, but most of them are Gentiles. And they have not been raised in the Jewish culture. So he's kind of laying out the groundwork. And I think, I'm going to use a little holy imagination here, but I think Paul, who was now sitting in a Roman prison, is like, you know what? There are a lot of communities that are coming to the Lord that just need to know the fundamentals of their faith. And so he sends it to the church at Ephesus. 
But if you notice, this letter to the Ephesians has no personal warm and fuzzies there. When he speaks to the Colossians, he's talking about a certain issue going on in their lives. When he writes to the Corinthians, he, he has some issues that they're not doing right. I love you. I'm going to speak harshly to you because I love you so much and you're, you need to get straightened out. You don't see any of that in Ephesians. And so some of the theologians have decided that it's probably because he is sending kind of a general letter. Yes, it's going to the Ephesians, but you don't see a lot of himself in it, but he does write the letter in two parts. The first chapter, the first three chapters that talk about the foundations of their faith. And then the last three chapters are like what it looks like. How, how do you act in that truth? And so we're going, to, we're going to get into all of that in detail, but one of the things that, that I think is important for us to understand in doing an overview is not just the author, but, but you want to know the author, right? I mean, if you get a letter in the mail, which I don't know how many people actually get those anymore, <laughs> but... If you get a letter in the mail, what is the first thing you want to know? Who's it from? Because everything in that letter is going to be impacted by who it's from. If you get a letter from your sister or you get a letter from the state, you're going to read it differently. What it has to say has impact on you. So it's important to understand who wrote the letter. We know that Paul wrote the letter. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, was a Pharisee among Pharisees, that he was born in the Jewish tribe and traditions of, of the Jewish faith. It was several years later, and Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he spent three years in Arabia with Jesus, being taught by Jesus. What do you think he had to be taught? I think those three years, Paul had to have his thinking rechecked from the law and legalism to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, when he writes Romans, he says, not that any of that was abolished. The law was not abolished by Jesus. It was fulfilled by him. And I think that marriage of, of Paul's learning and relationship with Jesus had to come together in a way that Paul could speak the truth from truth, not just the Torah, but the Torah with the resurrected Jesus Christ. So here's a guy who has been well-versed in, in Judaism, who has spent time with Jesus, at least three years of intense training. And I think he had to have some of that theology checked. You know what? I can identify with Paul. You guys? Have you ever had some theology that just needed to be corrected? That you didn't hear it right or it wasn't taught right? And the more we grow in our faith with Jesus Christ, the more we walk with him, the more we're going to have things that need to be cleaned up and, and brought into alignment. Paul's going to write to the Ephesians and the other churches about some right thinking. He's not coming from an arrogant position. He's like, guys, I know. And he's writing to the Ephesians who have no idea about Judaism. 
They don't even get all of that. So in this letter, we're going to see how he pulls together those raised in Judaism and those who have become believers in Jesus Christ. It, for a Jew, all of my life, going to tabernacle and going to the synagogue and reading the Torah and knowing the, the sacrifices, but Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices. So if Jesus fulfills the sacrifices, now what do I do? Paul writes this letter somewhere in the 60s AD. Interestingly, at that time, there were still sacrifices in the temple because the temple wasn't destroyed until when? 70 AD. So this letter comes to new believers who may be seeing Jews still making sacrifices. So if I'm a believer and I'm following a Jewish rabbi who they would have probably heard of as Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and this faith is coming out of the Jewish people right? All the apostles were Jews. Do I need to become a Jew in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Those had to be questions that were permeating the Christian, the believing culture, both from Jews and from Gentiles, right? I mean, that had to, that had to be. They're still in the synagogues making sacrifices. They're still praying the Shema. They're still in that, so Paul writes this letter, and, and I think this is so pertinent for us today, because in our culture, there is such a division among people, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, Democratic, Republican, white, black, brown, aliens. There are so many divisions, and even among the church, Baptist and Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans, what is going on? And I think this is so relevant for us because Paul is writing to those issues. And it is such a blessing for us, especially in our culture today. As believers, what is true? What is it we are really going to follow? Where is our baseline? What is the foundational aspect of our faith? And, and how then shall I live? So when we look through this Ephesians letter, I'm so stoked because I don't think it could be any more relevant than it is for us today because they had two divisions. They had Jew and they had Gentile. They had, well, they might have seen four. They had Jew and Gentile. They had believing Jew and believing Gentile, right? But how much simpler than what we have today? And girls, as, as we come into the end times that God has placed before us, we know we're closer to tribulation days than we are from resurrection days. Right? I mean, just in the, in the timeline, we know we're down here into that space of just before Jesus comes back again. So things are going to fall apart more. Things don't get better towards the tribulation. Things break apart. We know there's going to be more persecution. We know there's going to, and we don't even see it as persecution because like the frog in the warm water is not until it boils, he's done. I feel like we're in that same place. I think these divisions that have hit our culture are so relevant. So when we're going through this book of Ephesians, I think it's going to be so applicable to us. But before we get into what does it mean to me, when doing an overview, it is critical that we see God in it. We see Jesus in it. We see the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? The Bible was written not about us. 
What? What are the first words in Genesis? In the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God had this great idea of having people. In the beginning, God. And John reiterates that midway through. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us, and the Word was God. Yeah. And then in the end, in Revelation, it's about God ruling in the new heaven and the new earth. Some of us need to stop and think about that because we approach Scripture from the perspective of, what's that mean to me? How should I change? What do I need to know? What, how does that affect my life? And God's like, it's about me, guys. Don't miss me in my word. But we do, don't we? I mean, it's, it's, our, it's our human nature to do that. The Bible was written about God. So when we start our study, our overview, we need to look first of who is God. How is he revealed in Ephesians? So let's go first to Ephesians 1, because he has a whole bunch of information here about him. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's some significance to that when he uses his God name over his earthly name. So there's the God part of Jesus, which is Christ, right? The Son of God. Christ it represents that. And Jesus represents the man part of him. So he hits that first that he's talking to the God-man. Do you see that? Christ Jesus. And that he is an apostle by the will of God. If you are willing to mark your Bibles, you might want to put a triangle on the God and a cross on the Jesus, just so that you can hear who he is in the right place. Because when you start reading through here, he says... We'll look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Well, who, who is the who? God the Father or Jesus Christ? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So the who there is God. Yep. Just as he chose us in him. See, Paul's going to use the he's and the hymns here. Then if you go down to verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. So who's the he in verse 5? God, because through Christ Jesus to himself. So we were predestined by God to adoption through Jesus Christ to God himself. You see, so it might be helpful to go through here, but in chapter one and throughout all of this, it is what God has done to redeem us, what he has done to bring us to him and his vehicle of implementing all those things, our adoption, our inheritance, our blamelessness, all of that comes through Jesus Christ. When God's revealing himself, he is the sovereign God that has come to us of his own will, his own pleasure. But in order to bring us to him, it is through Jesus Christ. So when we look at these first three chapters, we see God as the giver, as the implementer. And we see Jesus as the one who does it for us. The next thing you want to know is who's it written to. Obviously, if we get a letter in the mail, it's addressed to us. We know it's to us. And we know our own person. But when we look at Ephesians, who are the recipients? Well, he tells us in the beginning, he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
So he gives us this, but then he does something kind of funky. He has we this, we that. In all of chapter one, you'll see it's we and us who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us. We would be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us. His grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. So he's, he's using the we, we, we all the way down to verse 13. In him, you also, after listening. So Paul does some really fun things with this pronouns. And ladies, this just transformed Ephesians for me because I never paid attention to the we's and the you's. Who is the we and who is the you? If you follow the you's from verse 13 down to chapter 2, verse 11, all that way he's into the you's. He changed his pronouns from we to you. In verse 11, it says what? Therefore, remember that formerly you, now he's going to explain to us who the you is, the Gentiles in the flesh. You are called uncircumcised by the so-called we's or circumcised, which is performed in the flesh of the human hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who's the you? Gentile believers, yes. So who is the we? Right, Jewish believers. Today, we would call them Messianic Jews. I want you to go back because I know most of you have read Ephesians before, but the we, how many of you made you a we? Right? Because I thought of me, I thought the we were believers and, and because I didn't think this through. I just assumed on the surface, and that's why God said, no, girl, we got stuff to learn here. The we is Jewish. Read chapter one again, just for a moment, because it's going to, it changes things. Let's start with verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us Jews with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What? Doesn't that change it? Isn't it funny? Don't settle in there too tightly, because we get, we get some inheritance here in the end of two and three. But when he writes this letters, ladies, he is talking to the we's, to the Jews. So I want to read this for you just to, get, just to set this right in our minds. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, Jews, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us Jews in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Remember in, um, in Genesis where he said, I will choose for me a peculiar people, holy and blameless. He's talking about Jews here before the foundation of the world, that they would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us Jews to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ 
to God himself, according to the kind intention, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us Jews in the beloved. In him, we Jews have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our Jewish trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us Jews. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us Jews the mystery of his will, according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him. Is that crazy? Did y'all feel like you just had your thinking straightened out just a little bit? What question comes to mind, though? What about me? What about me? Exactly. So let's go check out the what about me. Jump down to verse 17 of chapter 2. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away. The far aways were? And peace to those who were near. Who's the near? The Jews. For through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Look at this, Christ Jesus himself. He's like, this is through Jesus. Being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also were built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, chapter 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, Gentiles, that by the revelation... There was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. He says in verse 6 that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Ladies, I don't know if that means a big difference to you, but it did to me. My pronouns weren't proper, and I missed the pronouns. But he spends two chapters, not that he knew they were chapters, but... He spent two significant parts really defined this. And as a student of the word, I missed it. For years I missed that. But if you know the rest of Ephesians, now you understand why unity is the theme of this whole book. Here's what I want us to walk away with. I want when we're done with Ephesians to be able to understand the foundation of our faith was rooted in Judaism. Mm -hmm. It was rooted in our Savior who came as a Jew, who lived out all the traditions of the Jews. God, from the beginning, picked a peculiar people. They were Jewish. And he showed us his love and his, his choosings through that nation, from Genesis to Matthew. And then he fulfilled that picture by embracing us Gentiles, all those not Jewish. I mean, a Gentile is simply anybody who's not a Jew, right? How is that proclaimed through the word? God has used Gentiles in the New Testament, because that's what we called us, but they were the nations. Go into all the nations. 
It was always God's plan for the Jews to go into all the nations. Babel was a big problem because they were isolating from the nations. And he said, I will confuse their language so that they can go to all the nations. So it was always in God's plan that the Jews would come to the nations. And now we see Paul as one of the forefathers of that calling to go into all the nations. There is a thinking out there that once Jesus came, because the Jews blew it, and now the word is going out to the Gentiles, and they use Ephesians for this. We'll hit this again when we hit um, Ephesians 5, I think it is. We are no longer Jew and Gentiles, but we are a new body of Christ that the Jews are put away with. And it's called replacement theology. And now it's not about the Jews. That doesn't work. The calendar still revolves around the Jewish calendar. The end times is still about the redemption of the Jews. Ladies, God never changed his plan. In fact, the cliff notes for Romans is Ephesians. Remember in Romans, he blows up. So what then is the benefit of being a Jew? Remember how he digs into all that? Ephesians are like, boom, there it is. <laughs> he does the we and the you. This is the cliff notes of that whole discussion. Isn't that cool? But we use our Gentile eyes to read, and we miss the foundation of our faith. In conclusion, Paul teaches that the God of Israel is willing to be mankind's father. Isn't that beautiful? And to equip them with wisdom, strengths, gifts, and blessings. Only our true God being in total control of the universe through the cross work of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out our lives as imitators of Christ that results in unity with the family of God. To see that we're grafted, there's not a new church. We are grafted in. And we, because we have not been raised in the Jew, Jewish traditions, we miss some of that. And I have to believe that these Ephesians who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came from the Father, that he walked on this earth for just a few years ago, was crucified, died, rose again, and ascended. I mean, that would be exciting news, right? But they don't have any of the history. I feel like I'm kind of still that Ephesian Gentile. I don't embrace the history of the Jews. And Paul's like, let me tell you. Let me tell you where that came from. Let me tell you the foundation of your spiritual family. And he opens up this letter and he says, you also. Isn't that cool? So... I hope that as you go into your next study, we're going we're gonna to hit chapter one, you know, because that was just scratching the surface. That was just, who wrote it? How's God revealing himself? And who got the letter? So now we're going to dig into what he actually said. So next time we get together, we're going to go verse by verse, word by word. Back Porch Bible Studies is a ministry of women in Christian leadership. You can find this podcast on your favorite podcast form or go to womeninchristianleadership.com to find the many ways women in Christian leadership can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank their sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, in business to serve Christ.